0: Pitmaster, an old Virginia smoke podcast. I'm your host, Luke Darnell. While you're enjoying this podcast, please share it out on your social media and also be sure to like the podcast on the service of your choice. This week, we will feature a gentleman that has been successful in both the Memphis Barbecue Network and KCBS and has started one of the more successful barbecue rub companies out there. So please welcome Heath Riles from Heath Riles Barbecue. Well, Pitmaster podcast listeners, we have a real treat today. Today we have my friend Heath Riles, one of the legends of barbecue. This guy's been around. He's cooked more contests than I've even thought about. He's probably won more than I've thought about. How you doing,
1: brother? Man, I'm doing good, Luke. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Absolutely. It's We've been trying for a while, and I'm glad we could actually finally get it on the calendar. And it's hilarious that 12 minutes ago I got a message from Mitchell Bedwell, saying when are you going to have heath riles on the contest and i said stop it i said you're not being funny right now and he goes what do you mean i'm like i'm literally interviewing him in 12 minutes
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah mitchell uh literally he's a he's a good guy he's helped a lot over the years he really has
0: yep he's a he's a good dude and you know i'm just trying to i'm thinking about all the times that we've got to cook together and uh I'm trying to think the first time I met you, I think it was in Galax, if I'm not mistaken, Galax Virginia.
1: I think it was down in that low parking lot
0: yep, <laughs> yep. that that contest will forever be one of my favorites, even though it probably is one of the biggest pains in the ass, but <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> definitely so yeah, it's well, you've had you're one of our rare guests that has had success across multiple uh sanctioning bodies. You know, you've, you're pretty much the king of the Memphis barbecue network, and you've had a lot of success in the KCBS network. How do you, how do you balance cooking separately for each of those? I mean, I know there's a lot of
1: differences. Actually, there's not a lot of differences, Luke. I mean, not to me. Um, I cook the same product no matter if I'm cooking MBN or KCBS. The ribs, the only difference I turn in baby backs for MBN and I turn in uh, spares or St. Louis, of course, for KCBS. And I cook them to the same tenderness. And a lot of people go, that's too tender on baby backs. Well, no, that's perfect for MBN. So 204, 205, whatever it may be, 206, your magic number, depending on your temp you're cooking at, do the same thing for baby backs. So if you're at Memphis or you're MBN, turn them in and roll the dice because you got just as good as luck as I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, you, that's what your consistency is probably, I would say one of your big, biggest traits I would say in barbecue. It's, there's not one contest that I can remember where we've been there together where you've not, you know, at least been in the mix. And I think that, that consistency comes from being confident in your processes. Where do you think that confidence comes from?
1: Uh, Honestly, I don't know. It's built up over the years. Uh, You know, when I first started, I was 18 years old and I'm 43 now. And I think when you take a a span of over 20 years, uh, your confidence kind of builds up. And especially when you hit that stride in your career to where it's just repetition. And you know, cooking contests, if you're going go out running 20, 30, 40 contests a year, you kind of get repetitive in your process of what you're doing. And for me now, I'm still cooking videos at home. So I'm still touching that fire, working that fire, touching that meat. So when I go to a contest, I, I feel like I'm still, um, you know, can hit it any day. But I'm not as good as I used to be because I'm not under the pressure I used to be. So I think being under pressure builds more confidence uh, in myself. And I would agree with you. I I look back at our career,
0: and we didn't really get better until we went and cooked four weekends in a row. And I think when – and that's one of the, the key things that I tell somebody to improve their confidence is go cook four weekends in a row. You're going to learn a lot about your pit you're going to learn a lot about yourself and you're going to learn a lot about your food. Is there any tips that you would give anybody to improve their confidence?
1: Honestly, practice, practice, practice. I think if you are out and you're cooking in the elements you're going to be cooking in and a lot of guys, you know, has got to cook rolled roll up in the garage. No, bust it out in the driveway or wherever it's your buddy's house and cook in the same element with that wind hitting that firebox And with, and try to create those you know, cook in the rain. You really wanna humble yourself, pop up a tent and cook in the rain out there and, and just understand the texture of your meat. I mean, that will you will know what the judges is getting when you turn it in. I mean, and I feel like a lot of people, a lot of successful pit masters actually practice and and hone in on the little things that matters and that's what makes them successful. Um I think a lot of guys won't want it, but they're not hungry enough yet. And that's great advice.
0: You know, I never, I wouldn't dream of even going into a season without at least cooking three or four times here at the house just to build my chops back up. You know what I mean? Get get ready to go. We love to talk about successes and stuff on these podcasts. But one of the things that I like to bring up are failures. You know, I've I've had several failures that have really kind of shaped my barbecue career. Do you have any uh, of your favorite failures where you really learned something that helped you be successful going forward?
1: Never count yourself out to the end. And I'll tell this story a lot. I, I was at a at a Sam's Club qualifier event in my backyard in South Haven, Mississippi. And it got down to brisket turn in, and I was let me think back, get this right. The brisket I thought was perfect. It probed perfect. Everything was good. I went to cutting it and it had a fat vein kind of on one edge to where it wanted to break off. Right. Well, my first instinct was let's take this knife and just knack this end off and let's roll with it. Well, I done already trimmed it down, to, you know, six and three quarter inches. I mean, it was just a perfect for the box edge to edge bark. Like I like it. And it was crumbling on me, not crumbling on the ends, but kind of just splitting in the middle. And I, I cut the slices and left them laying there and got upset, walked out of the trailer. And me and my wife, you know, she was like, I don't know what you're worried about it for. I was like, I'm not even turning this shit in. And she put it in the box, and we got a perfect 180 score with it because it tightened up to where it needed to be. And we GC'd that contest. And I uh, I think <laughs> I had, I think I had a brisket. Uh, And it was a 180 also, by the way. So I had a perfect 180 in brisket, and I got a perfect 180 in, like, I think, ribs. And then I went the next week to a contest, and I took uh, a 180 in something else. But anyway, I wound up with four 180s in two weeks in all four categories. Wow. And I thought that I would have never even got a call at the contest. So – turning a failure into a success. Don't count yourself out. Just put it in the box and turn it in. Cause you say, Hey, guess what? Them other 20 guys may have had the same bad day you had. You don't know.
0: <laughs> That's funny that we always, especially husband and wife teams. It always seems like sometimes you just gotta listen to the woman to quote Wesley Snipes. From <laughs> White yeah. men can't jump. <laughs> That's right. That's you gotta okay. listen to the woman. Oh man. So, you're also one of the most successful guys in the barbecue business, especially, you know, coming building on your competition barbecue, barbecue career. Is that, is that the most surprising thing that's come out of competition barbecue for you?
1: It has. I never thought when I started cooking, you know, uh, like I said, over 20 years ago, that I'd be where I am today. And I've had a lot of uh, hurdles in my career whether it be, uh, you know, partnering up with somebody in cooking and trying to do business with them. And and they say when money gets involved, that's when you find out how people really are. Well, it's true. It is very true. And so instead of, um, for me, I think the key to my success is even though I had hurdles in my life, I didn't really just blast them out and act crazy about them. I put my head to the ground, I focused and I done what I had to do to make it work for me and hard work paid off in the end. And uh again, that's some of the best advice I can give somebody. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Do your own thing. Keep your head down, grind and it will work out.
0: That's right. Be you and work hard and you should be fine.
1: There will never, never be there will never be another Luke Darnell, no matter how hard somebody <laughs> tries. And that's the same way there'll never be another Heath Riles. Correct. No matter how hard they try. And once I, I did not really figure that out until in like my mid thirties. And, um, once I really set my, my mind to that goal, uh, everything I'm not going to say has been easier, but, um, uh, it's definitely, uh, helped.
0: And been more rewarding. I mean, if you look at the range of products that you have available out there right, right now, it's, it's staggering. Uh, and, And each one has its own attributes and everything that are really, that really work with meats a lot and work with other stuff other than meats. I use a lot of your rubs when I'm teaching uh, just cooking at home classes. And I mean, people are just blown away by the flavors. How, How do you take what you learn in competition to, to that stage, to create something for the backyard cook that's really, you know, so delicious and flavorful.
1: Well, I tell you, Luke, um, you know, all of our rubs. Uh, I've been very blessed for the success of, that my products have had, but I think competition barbecue going transition to the backyard into a business. You know, it's all about that one bite, that one flavor that judge is going to get, and so. And competition, we're all about layering flavors, and we're all about, you know, the right precise amount of rub. And let's face it, cooking to tenderness is what wins contest. All the backyard guys say fall off the bone ribs is where it's at. Well, we know we don't want that, right? Well, I just <laughs> took that whole process and spun it into good eating food. I'm a big guy. I like food, Luke, and we've been to dinner before, you know, to places. We, you like food, too. I love food. And so I just took that equation and I, I I spun it into wanting to be able to produce flavors for the everyday cook and the everyday woman and the everyday man and, and younger generation, whether it be, you know, using an air fryer, whether you're using it on a Blackstone griddle. And, and I've gotten more into I think it's opened me up to a whole new world, if that makes sense. And that's why I have 15 rubs now. And I could probably come out with a few more. But it takes me forever on that development process because I want to be sure that, you know, a lot of these guys throw something in a bottle and, you know, four months' time. They've got it from start to finish. Well, not me. I send samples to friends. i test it on meats for over a year. I, You know, I'm using it at a contest before you even know it. And I want to prove its worth before I launch it. And I think if you do that with your products and you test it in the backyard at home and I cook with it on the stove and I, I even go, even over we pit masters, if you really want to taste the flavor of something, put it in the stove where there's no smoke and anything where you just taste the rub flavor. And that will give you some of the great, you know, starting points to figure out how much you need your layer and your back end heat. And so I just started applying all those things and transition competition barbecue over to the backyard for good eating food. And that's how I wound up with the portfolio that I have. That's great, man.
0: And that, you know, we always look for a catchphrase. And that might be the catchphrase for this podcast. <laughs> podcast. Great eating food. We'll just keep it there. That's and that's what we're all after. Right. At the end of the day, competition barbecue is great. But, you know, it's all about learning how to cook and make things make things better for your friends and family. That's yeah. kind of how we approach it as well. Let's transition a little bit to let's do some gear because I know that you love different cookers. you always got something different back there. Let's start out in the beginning. What was one of the best investments that you made in the beginning in competition barbecue?
1: Well, when I first got started, I built my own smoker. Uh, well, I borrowed one from a friend and we went out and had too many alcoholic beverages and he said if you're gonna if you're gonna act like that. You need to build your own grill. So I was cocky, 19, 18. I had a welder and a torch and all that where I took all that in school. So I went and found me some 36-inch steel pipe. No, it's 32-inch, quarter-inch stick, and I built it. And, you know, it uh, had some help with some friends. I cut the firebox off and had an older guy do me a firebox that was insulated. And so I would give anything to have that pit back. But I think your pit, but when I switched from that, and I finally bought a backwoods, and when I went to a backwoods to a cooker that really understood, and this was before the internet, this was before anything, and I started using it, I did start getting more calls and, you know, just started understanding. So I think equipment is a big task. Um, you know, you need to know your equipment and just cook, learn to cook on what you have, no matter what it is.
0: Absolutely.
1: And, you know, I've been through. Gosh, I've been through so many kickers myself. You know, you don't want to know, Miley. I mean, I've I've still got so many. I'm looking at one, two, three, four. In my shop sitting here, maybe seven or eight here now I'm looking at up through here.
0: (laughs) and probably got more on your mind about what to bring in next.
1: Oh, that's just in the shop. That's not at my house. There's there's eight on eight or nine on my patio. There's four or five in the garage. That's not including where the barbecue trailers are at. There's another, you know, hog cookers and other, tra- you know, cookers on those trailers. I think I got over 30. It's not including what's at the duck club. That's, you know,
0: I- <laughs> See, listeners, this is, use Heath as an example that you can never have too many cookers when you're trying to buy another cooker and your spouse doesn't want you to.
1: <laughs> cookers and firearms. That's it. <laughs>
0: All right, so those are all expensive things. Do you have a purchase of $100 or less that has really impacted your barbecue life and really changed the way that you do things? Can't say Thermopen either.
1: That's a given. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to have to say, you know, a decent knife. I'm going to be honest. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, we all started out with just cheap cutlery. And to me, I've had really expensive knives and I had knives that's well under a hundred bucks. And to me, one of the best knives you can buy for the money to get started that you definitely need is a six inch boning knife from Victor Knox. And I, I just went for, for $25 is about the basic cost. You're not going to beat it for the money. And they last forever forever there's a reason why butcher shops across the country use those knives
0: absolutely i have uh gosh i think i have four (laughs) now at this point there's probably more but i collect knives like i collect cookers they're just everywhere
1: (laughs) yeah they're everywhere
0: that's awesome and do you use a lot of technology in your
1: cooks anymore these days i know you used to be a I do. I do. I use the chef's alarms. I'm still old school. I don't uh, use some of the the cooking devices. I still use a guru every now and then, depending on the type of cooker that I use. Uh, But I definitely use like uh, chef's alarms and stuff as a base point to go off, you know, to check my brisket. And I don't pull everything like I have kind of set temps I go by, but I, I cook to feel. And so if it feels good, I pull it. If it needs to go a little bit longer, it stays on. Uh, nothing is by pure temperature.
0: Right. And I think that's something important for people to realize and to learn is that chef alarm, even the thermopen, the number on there is just getting you into the ballpark. Yes. It's how it feels. It puts you in your seat.
1: I tell people I don't even look at the number the next morning, like on hogs and shoulders and stuff. I'm just going by feel. I turn my head. And if it's got that feel to it, I'm fine. it it's time to come off. But you, just, that's something you can't teach people. I, I tell people that all the time in classes. It comes with years of experience and actually trying to hone your craft. Right, and that's
0: you know that goes back to the practice conversation we had. You know, you're not going to know that tenderness unless you do it a hundred times. Right. You know, and I tell people all the time. You can go spend $300 on a brisket all you want, but until you can make that $100 brisket sing, you got no reason to be in there yet. That's exactly right. Exactly right. So you also, I mean, we've cooked around each other a lot, so I feel like I have insider information a little bit. Do you have any habits, rituals, or routines that you have to do at a contest?
1: Uh, Man, I am, uh, yes, I do. I've just have a certain, (laughs) I used to have a certain repetition. I'm always listening to old music a lot of times or like rock and roll or something like that. And I just have a certain time my meat comes out, a certain time it gets injected. Uh, you know, I'm very minute when it comes to trying to keep my same process. I want my chicken in brine by noon or by three o'clock at the latest on Friday. I want it in brine. I just, I want my injected brisket injected and my pork injected by three o'clock. So I just, you know, little, little things like that. And I'm always going to drink. I'm never going to drink alcohol on, on when I'm cooking on Friday night to Saturday. I'll wait till after I'm going and maybe have a most or something, but I'm not, I've gotten where I don't drink anymore uh, like that. I think uh, my skills got a lot better and I started winning a lot more and I drink uh, these uh, mango pineapple or something, V8 little energy drinks. I'm hooked on them and I drink them every morning (laughs) and that's kind of like my ritual thing. Uh, But yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah, that's a number one uh, uh, thing that I, whenever I'm teaching somebody, and you see them at a contest on Friday night, all loaded up, you're like, "Ain't going to work, bro."
1: <laughs> unless you're unless you're Tim Scherer or maybe Brad. I mean, I don't. I haven't seen it work out with too many people. I'll just be honest. I have not <laughs> worked out with too many people.
0: I'm, I'm one of those people it does not work out for. So uh, yeah. Kim has, Kim has strict rules on my consumption Friday night. I'm allowed three drinks and that's it. Yep. And I'm not allowed to cheat it and get a big gulp or anything like that. That's <laughs> right. Yep. But three and that's the limit. And I, I stick to it because like you, I saw my scores go up whenever I quit.
1: That's right. You can celebrate the next day. I mean, and you're not going to have a reason to celebrate if you throw it all down the drain the night before.
0: Right. What would you say is the biggest turning point in your life as a pit master? What's the one event that really set you on your way competition wise?
1: Well, there's really two. I think it was a a confidence builder for me when I was in Calix, Virginia. And I think you were there when I granted the NBN and I reserved the KCBS. Yep. And I told myself that I said, I'm going to grant two. I'm going to do it. And I went and I practiced. And that was in July. And in April, i done it at South Haven Spring Fest in my backyard. And I hadn't, I did not final in hog. I did not final in shoulder. And I had done cleaned everything up, broke down the tent, rolled up the awning when they brought a final sign around for rib. And I had four slabs left in the cooler and was about to give them away. And I I rolled the cooker out put a fire back in and a small one, you know, to glaze the ribs over because they hadn't been glazed yet. And uh, rolled an awning back out. And I GC'd both of those that day and had two 180s on the KCBS side. And there was a lot of teams there, including Johnny Trigg, I think, was there. And um, Patrick Banks was running pretty hard at that time. And several other teams, they were all in the top five of KCBS. And to walk away with two 180s and grand both of them. It was it was a good day. I think it was fifty three KC no seventy something KCBS and maybe like fifty something MBN there that day. So that was a kind of a turning point in my career for me. It kind of I'm not going to say plateaued me, but uh, really helped me boost my confidence. Sure, and pulling both of those off
0: in the same day is a monumental task, especially from a work perspective. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. And I mean, that's where
1: having a solid team behind you really helps. Yeah, it does. And, uh, I tried to go to Murfreesboro and do it again the next year. And I got third in KCBS and I GC the NBN. And then year before last, I GC them again in Murfreesboro, both of them. Um, and that was a good deal, uh, that day. Actually, Darren walked up and told me that was a hell of a, Hell of a deal. Uh, And so to get get a compliment from the goat like that, it felt good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: And Murfreesboro is one of those contests that I think everybody should try and go do once if they can. It really is a fantastic contest. And uh, the Mills family just does such a great job. They do. They do a fantastic job. Hospitality bar none. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you're a field cook how do you relate to those gut feelings when you're cooking? Like when something just gnawing at you and you you feel like you got to do something, but it ain't quite time to do it. How do you process that?
1: Well, I usually go do it. (laughs) And, 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 and sometimes it's been spot on the gut feeling. And sometimes I've been off on that gut feeling and something not be done yet or where it needed to be, or glad I checked it when I did kind of situations, you know? Something needed to be wrapped a little sooner. It was getting too dark. And that all has got to do with the way the wind's blowing or the way the air is that day or, you know, barometric pressure. A lot goes into all this, the science end of it, that a lot of people don't realize.
0: Right. There's so many things, the barometric pressure, the elevation.
1: Oh, Um, that's, you go to Virginia to cook where you're, yeah, where y'all are at. You better put your stuff on a little bit earlier up there, like a whole hog. It took me a couple of years to figure that out. Because it yep. needs a little more time to cook up there.
0: Yep. And then you roll down into the mountains, it's going to be different. You go out by the ocean, it's going to be a lot different. <laughs> yep. I don't think people really factor that in enough.
1: They don't. And the, but, but the good cooks that figure that out, they're the ones that can go coast to coast and get a call.
0: Right. And I think that's also a pretty good measurement of success is being able to get calls and do well. Not just in your own area, but doing it all over the place, I think, is uh and you've been able to do that.
1: I have. I've been very fortunate. I've actually uh, got some really good calls at places, and I've got some calls where I thought I'd win the contest and get like sixth place with two 180s and, you know, crap in the bed on brisket or not win the Sam's Club championship with two 180s. I've been all over the board, man. It's, uh, it's been a, it's been a wild ride for me. Let me say that
0: that that's funny to hear you say that cuz a lot of people you know like i said we always talk about the successes everyone needs to go and look at some stuff sometime and be like wow look how close that guy was that many times you know look how how many times if they are gc like how how different could that be with one thing goes a different way you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah I, I, that I, st- I still get upset that what was it 42nd 44th no 46 pulled pork out of 50 teams and if it would have been 38th pulled pork i would have gc'd the sam's club invitation. oh wow and that makes a man sick considering that how much effort i put into that pork box <laughs> exactly <laughs> what
0: do what do you think is missing from competition barbecue these days
1: uh, honestly, I think the internet has, uh, been the catch 22 for barbecue and I'll explain myself. I think it's been great for people cutting learning curves down and for the few of us that are willing to give back and, and allow people to learn and for the people that are receptive over it. And then I think the internet has took and it's made people bullies and made people uh, where they want to stay in their trailers or not get out or not cook a contest because they don't want to go up against somebody like, you know that is out cooking and winning every week. And so I think if it's, uh, like I said, the internet's been great for barbecue, but it's been good and it's been bad in my opinion. Um, and I think it boils down to the people barbecue needs to, uh, it's about food, family, friends, you know, all that. And it needs to get back to that. Uh, you see a lot of people out here in big motor homes and big, to do's. And I used to want all that. And now I think I'd rather hang out outside the trailer with just a pit, talk to my neighbor, you know what I mean? And the other guys and hang out and go to dinner and not be so serious with it. Treat it like a, um, uh, almost like a family reunion kind of sense. Uh, I
0: I a hundred percent agree. It's, you know, we were going through our schedule this morning and you know, one of my things that my wife hates cause she likes the trailer and Everything's in there. I love cooking out of a pop up. I just have a blast every time I get to do it. You know, you're out there in the middle of everybody and you know, running your pit and jawing back and forth with people. And you know, I, I just it really. I mean, I've gone you know through the whole trailer thing and done that, and now I just re- really like being out there and mixing it up, and I think it's fun.
1: Yeah, I, I and it, but not in the pure winter time though, right? Correct. As soon as say you're like me, you want to be out on that pop up and that tent and all that, and talking and carrying on when it's nice, and you know, all the way to a nice fall day. But when it starts getting really warm, it's time to get in the trailer
0: or really cold. <laughs> or really cold. That's right. Do you? Uh, one of the things that we talk about out here, I don't ask this question to everybody because, because some people I just know they don't do it, but psychological warfare. Do you engage in any of that at a contest?
1: It depends on who it is, yes and no. Uh if we're at a contest and somebody automatically starts trash talking me, then yes, I do. It's on. <laughs> but I don't unless somebody does it first to me. And then after that, I'm going to poke and I'm going to jab several times. But I'm not going to carry on with it. But I'm gonna get me a few jabs in there that you're gonna know that I'm it's, you're, it's gonna make you faint. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I would I would rather be straight up and honest. If you're competing against me and you need to borrow something, I'd rather you borrow it for me and me give it to you and lose gracefully than I had to tell you no and you beat me. I'm not that guy. I'm not. It's just a contest in the, the day. I ain't saving nobody's life.
0: Right. And I think at the end of the day, ninety percent of barbecue cooks are that way. Okay. And you know, you're just just let's help each other out. Let's cheer for each other when it goes good, console when it goes bad, and keep moving forward. I think is the best way for all of us.
1: That's right. Fall forward when I tell everybody fall forward.
0: <laughs> cool, man. Well, let's get into my favorite part of this. These no are point. the these are the rapid fires. All right. A lot of fun. I think you kind of already answered this one. But I'll ask it anyway. What do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you?
1: Them damn keyboard warriors. End the story. Right there. Somebody jumps online and because somebody's brisket didn't turn out right, and they're asking questions and start bashing them. That's not the reason they got on there to ask that question, and you should not do that to someone. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. Everybody should write that down right now. It's too many many mean people in this world, man. Absolutely. Be nice.
0: Do you have a favorite pre, during, or post competition meal?
1: Uh yes, I do. I love going to eat Mexican or either cold sub sandwiches somewhere after a contest, especially if it's been a a hot contest. You know, I like going to Mexican sometimes on Friday night uh, at a contest if I can, if it allows me. But I love after the contest, if it's been hot, I want a cold sub from somewhere like a good, you know, a Jersey Mike's or a Jimmy John's or, a, you know, a sub shop like that. Um, and if it's cold, I want, you know, usually we go to Mexican. That's the deal. Mexican. Right
0: on. Do you have a favorite present that you like to give to people?
1: Uh, Yes, I'd probably say my rub a lot of times. I do. <laughs> uh, just and honestly, because it's more convenient than anything, I keep extra cases in the trailer. I mean, and, that, and if somebody to say, "Hey, I hadn't tried this or I hadn't done that," and he, you know how it is, getting that warm fuzzy feeling from somebody. And I don't, it, it, you know, I'd rather help somebody than I had turn a turn a cold cheek to him.
0: Right on, right on. What if you could have a giant billboard? Anywhere with anything on it, getting a message out to millions, what would it say and why?
1: I would think be nice. You never know what someone's going through.
0: Everybody, I agree.
1: Keep it simple. You don't know somebody's struggles, their, 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 what's going on in their life, and I think that if people would just be nice, I. And I know this is a rapid fire question, but I'll tell you this: I left my house the other day. And it's about five or six miles to town to the little local pig's wiggly, right? And do you know that I waved at just about everybody, just on the steering wheel, just you know waving? And out of hundreds of cars, three people waved back. Three. And when you go, and I'm, I've done got big around going to the lunch to where the old cafe, where all the old guys go to eat, and uh, where all the old heads of the donut shop stopping by the gun shop where they all sit around because they're there for a reason. They they made their life doing that and being nice and not being that way to people. And I think the generations that we got into these days, people are just not uh, seeing that. And everybody's into their phone, looking up. I mean, and I'm, I'm the same way. And I'm sure you are too. You sit down to dinner, you and your wife, you order something. What's the first thing you do after that? Nine times out of 10, I bet you check your damn phone. And uh, I think communicating to people and being nice and just not, being rude to people, the world could use more of that.
0: It, that's funny you bring that up. One of the things that Kim and I do at dinner a lot of times when we go with other people is we'll make everybody stack their phone in the middle of the table.
1: I think that's a great idea.
0: First person that grabs it's got to pay.
1: <laughs> you know what? I need to start that tradition right there. I do. The, but we the, We play credit card roulette a lot with my friends. <laughs> but
0: I've found that if you put those phones in the middle of the table and people can't get on them and I'm guilty of it too, like we all are, but it just makes for such a better experience and, and there's actually a consequence to it. And, you know, and I think that that's just, we haven't done it in a while, but of course, who's gone out to dinner with people in a while, <laughs> but <laughs> hopefully we can get back to all of that soon. So um last question and, this is one of my favorites, man. What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love?
1: Something that's just bonkers. Man, I really can't answer this on film. <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Absolutely loving. Bon- I don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't really have any weird. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, that's a great question. You got me puzzled there. So,
0: I mean, everybody knows mine. I like to send underwear to guys from my favorite underwear company. That's odd. Really? Oh yeah, they're fantastic.
1: I mean, I'm bad about. I, I guess there is one thing that I'm bad about shipping packages to people, and I put on there, you know, the Catalina Wine Mixer. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> like if I send you some rub, you know, somebody hits me up, and I. I'm bad about putting Catalina wine mixer putting some kind of crazy name on it with your name on packages. Now, I'm weird <laughs> about that. and There's no telling what it's going to say. Now, I'm not going to say what all I've said on here to people, but let's just say it's...
0: See, uh, that's a perfect...
1: Gets, you know, <laughs> yeah, it gets pretty crazy sometimes.
0: That's a perfect answer, man. That's, that's exactly... <laughs> that's perfect.
1: But underwear to somebody, uh, huh? I mean, yeah.
0: It's weird. I mean, you may never know, man. One might be showing up soon.
1: Well, that's nope. weird. I mean, make sure they're thongs. So I like them. <laughs> Speedos at least.
0: Speedos at least.
1: Speedos at least.
0: Well, Heath, tell, uh, is there any sponsors you want to recognize or tell people where to find you online?
1: Uh, yeah, you can find me at Heath Riles, uh BBQ, and that's, you know, at Rouse BBQ, and that's on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. Uh, you know, you can find me on YouTube. Uh, and uh, as old girl said, you can catch me outside. I'm I'm always outside cooking and grilling something. That's going to be my new thing. And uh, as far as sponsors go, you know, I work with a lot of good companies like Traeger and Deep South Smokers and Old Hickory Pits and, uh, you know, Golden's Cast Iron and Royal Oak Charcoal. And, uh, you know, I've worked some great meat sponsors over the years. Kevin Green's a Butcher Shop has just been incredible to me. Um, and, I, I mean, has some of the best beef and – Poor can meet in the country. I mean, phenomenal guys, and um, I think at the end of the day, just the whole uh, organization of barbecue has been has been great. And I, I hope that everybody sees that if you put your heart and passion into something with this barbecue or something else, that nine times out of ten it turns out really good for you. And so, don't let anybody discourage you or misguide you from your dreams or your focus, because. You can accomplish them if you want to. Don't let anybody hold you back from it.
0: That's great advice from one of the masters out there. So, Heath, thanks a lot, man. It's been great having you on here.
1: Thank you, folks. Appreciate you having me on.
0: Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and to share it out with your friends. Also, be sure to check out the Old Virginia Smoke TikTok as well. Old Virginia Smoke, one word. That's all you have to search for. It's hilarious. Tune in next week for another great episode of Pitmaster. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Zdenka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2022.